Welcomen. Bienvenue. Welcome. Hello, everyone. I'm your host, not Jason Miles. This is M. Toussaint filling in for Jason Miles. He is currently away on family business, probably expanding his family even more knowing him. Um, welcome to another episode of This Is Revolution Podcast. So glad to have you guys with us live. And of course, happy to have the people that will be checking this later or on audio only formats. Before we start, if you're new to the channel, please hit that like button, subscribe and hit the bell so you're notified when we go live. We're constantly adding new shows and doing cross streams with other channels. As always, thank you to all the subscribers on YouTube and Twitch and all the audio-only podcast formats you find us. Also, thanks to all our patrons. Collectively, you are the fuel in the engine that keeps TIR moving along. So if you're enjoying what we do here and you want access to the post-show champagne room, there's only one way. Become a patron. For as little as $3 a month or $30 a year, you can have access to the champagne rooms past and present. That's totally worth it, you guys. I think you should do it. Be be part of the live show audience of the Mau Mau Hour and join us as always for the ruckus movie night. Tonight, we're talking about Chicago. If you couldn't have guessed from my lovely thumbnail, that will be changed because it is uh, subpar for this show. I had to do it myself on the fly, and it's not going to fly. It's, it's, it's how that's going to go down. There are plenty of changes taking place in Chicago, and tonight we've got one of its proudest sons here to represent. Please welcome the current scholar of social work, Kenzo Shibata of the Kenzo Shibata Show. I don't have... Um, I don't have the soundboard to do the applause. But just imagine applause here. Yeah, there you go. All right. What's the status of your show now? And how have you been since the last time you were on? I'm doing great. Uh, I was on about a month ago, I want to say. You were you were out, MT. And that was, uh, we did an episode on the Satanic Panic. It was me, Jason, and Varn. That was a lot mm -hmm. of fun. Uh, we got to talk about the devil. We got to talk about Motley Crue. And, <laughs> um, you know, Moral Panic's around uh the the youth being corrupted and that that's you know the three of us that that's in our ballywick nice i gotta go back and check out that episode and yeah as far as my show goes it's on mm -hmm. kind of an indefinite hiatus um the mm -hmm. podcast that i've been doing red flag we decided to uh put on indefinite hold right now um and yeah maybe new things ahead you know i do get the itching to do more media but i also do enjoy being uh jason's jay leno yeah. <laughs> well, you're also a scholar of social work. You've got plenty on your plate. That is correct. Yes. I am currently working on my master's in social work. Um, this year I'm full-time in school for the first time in like 20 years. It's wow. weird. Um, college is a lot different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah. Uh, I had to give a, a talk to some students and um, I remember a time when students would at least put their cell phones under their desks and like try to pretend like they're paying attention, but nah, like they're they're like this. <laughs> yeah. You know, they're paying for it. It's not like you know in the public schools. Um, yeah. 
where uh you know you, you can you can call their parents on them now it's like okay well i guess you're not going to learn and even though you're spending thousands of dollars or putting yourself into debt maybe they're doing tiktoks of the professor oh i hope not <laughs> <laughs> I was giving a, a talk today and I don't I don't want to be a, there's a reason why I'm not on TikTok. <laughs> it scares me. You and me both, man. <laughs> Alright, well we're gonna do something unusual for this is revolution. We're gonna start with some good news. We're yes. gonna we're gonna start with the bread in our bad news sandwich, if you will. So the good bread is uh from a piece by friend of the show, Bronco Marchateach. That is how you pronounce his name, March of Yes, it is. Yes. Uh, Chicago is about to end the subminimum wage for tipped workers. Chicago Mayor Brandon Johnson's One Fair Wage Ordinance cleared the City Council's Workforce Committee in a 9-3 vote this past Wednesday, the culmination of years of organizing by low-wage workers, activists, and months of wheeling and dealing by the mayor and his socialist allies in the City Council. If approved by the city council on October 4th, as it's been expected to be, the ordinance will scrap the city's two-tier wage system that leaves tipped workers laboring for a minimum wage $5 lower than than their non-tipped counterparts. With a uniform $15 minimum wage phased in for all workers by 2028. Kenzo, can you tell us a bit of the behind the scenes of this huge step forward? Yeah, I'm so excited about this. This is something that definitely could not have happened if the left in the city hadn't been building for the past, I mean, you know, for decades, but really in a very concerted effort for the past uh, 10 years or so. Um, You know, we elected one socialist alderman in 2015, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who's now the floor leader leader of uh, Mayor Johnson. And, you know, he was very much involved in all this. So, you know, between the actual DSA socialists that make up a caucus within um, the city council and their progressive allies, people who are a little, you know, not quite as far left, but will be on board when they know that they're helping their constituents. Um, you know, there's a good progressive voting block in our city for the first time, I, I think, ever, really. Mm-hmm. And um, so uh we saw a city council under mayors Emanuel and Lightfoot becoming more and more independent. And now that we have mayor Brandon Johnson, who has, you know, a background in education and labor, uh, he has, we have an ally in city hall as well. So he's both, you know, leading and following this sea change that's happening. Um, as far as this particular, um, initiative to raise the tip minimum wage, um, this was a proposal that uh, came from the newly elected progressive alderman Jesse Fuentes, uh, mm-hmm. who, by the way, is also an alum of Northeastern Illinois University, where I am personally a student at the moment. Um, she worked with uh, Mayor Johnson and uh, Carlos Ramirez Rosa, who I mentioned earlier, and they negotiated with the Restaurant Association, which you know, it's funny for years and years, we keep hearing we can't get anything done because of the real estate lobby or the restaurant association. And, you know, no one tried, you know, Rahm Emanuel (laughs) gave these folks whatever they wanted. Mayor Daly gave these folks whatever they wanted. Lori Lightfoot said she was going to be different, but then gave these folks whatever they wanted. And now we have a, um, the city executive 
saying, well, we could we can work with them maybe. And it actually came out, you know, this was, I don't want to say bipartisan because, you know, our city elections are nonpartisan. Everyone's pretty much a Democrat with a handful of independent um, socialists. And um, so now we have this bill that's made it out of committee and next week it's going to be voted on. That's exciting. Yes. That's exciting. Next week is a big week. And right now, um, the, the restaurant industry here is the largest employer of 16 to 24-year-olds. And, uh, you know, we've seen this rash of uh, youth. It's a moral panic right now. Um, there have mm-hmm. been a few incidents of large swaths of young people going to downtown and essentially um, wreaking havoc. And really? you know, there's this big panic about this, like, oh, these kids, you know, we need to be tougher on crime. We need to do this, that, and the other thing. Well, what we saw is this complete depletion over the past maybe 30 years of any kind of youth programs. There used to be midnight basketball programs. So, you know, kids who were up all night, you know, had something to do where they'd be supervised and get some exercise. There isn't really much, you know, you know, as we're seeing in like the neoliberal um, neoliberalization of everything, mm-hmm. you can't really do anything for free anymore. Um, you know, just mm-hmm. leaving the house costs money and kids have very little to do. So, you know, it causes these kind of problems. And, um, you know, this could even be an incentive right now. It, it might actually be worth working <laughs> and, you know, saving some money and, you know, um, not having to find alternative ways of, of passing the time. Um, and, like, you know, we're going to talk about in a little bit the homeless problem mm-hmm. and the poverty problems in the city. Um, being such a big service industry town, this is going to be huge for a lot of people. You make a good point. You make a very good point. Big uh, service industry town. My mind is always on the gangs in Chicago. Mm. And I think that this will be a big help. Speaking of which, um, we recently got rid of the gang database in the city, which was a horrible um, means of criminalizing large swaths of people, including many, many young people. Um, This was a way of labeling, um, you know, working class people. Um, And, you know, a lot of people in those databases were never parts of gangs. You know, one thing also to, to realize about Chicago is, you know, this is a town that had a long history of, of gangs, of mm-hmm. you know, organized street crime. Um, what had happened in like the 90s, uh, a number of the top leaders of the street gangs in Chicago were all sent to prison. There was a big effort to put, put them away. And the theory was you, you put the leaders away and all of their minions will you know become fine upstanding young people and mm-hmm. what ended up happening was we just don't have organized gangs like we used to we have crews which mm-hmm. is even worse because instead of it being you know swaths of territory against swaths of territory it's block versus block and sometimes the kids that are involved they don't even know who their enemies are so there's a lot of um, misidentified people and a lot of kind of random violence because of that and the end of this gang database is going to, I think, at least alleviate some of those problems. Mm-hmm. That sounds fantastic. Whose initiative is that, the ending the uh, gang database? I know 
Alder woman Rosana Rodriguez uh, was highly involved in that, but I think it was a concerted effort with all of the um, the socialist and progressive alder people in the city. Mm-hmm. How long have they been in office? Uh, Rosanna got in office in 2019. Um, in 2015, that was when Carlos Ramirez Rosa was um, first elected, and that was huge because he not only did he win. Um, he beat an incumbent who was very tied to the old city machine. And, um, he did this by being just, you know, kind of a, a proud son of the Logan square neighborhood Mm -hmm. and having a lot of relationships with people. And, you know, even though there was a lot of red baiting done in the media and through, um, opposition campaigns against him, you know, if your neighbors know you. Um, when some stranger comes to town and says this person is a dirty, filthy communist who's going to ruin everything, mm-hmm. you know they're not going to believe them because they're like, no, this is the nice young man who came and asked me if my, uh, you know, streets have been shoveled enough. And so he was able to win in 2015, um, get reelected in 2019, along with um, others um, like Rosana Rodriguez, Daniel Espada, um, and. What they were able to do was, at first, they didn't um, get a lot of respect, I'd say, um, in city council. But when they showed that they had organized constituencies and that they were able to organize um, movements behind the initiatives that they were pushing in city council, you know, some of the more, um, not the quite as leftist, more progressive types started to follow their lead. And then mm. other folks who were like, well, I don't want to be going the way of a lot of these old machine leaders who mm-hmm. are losing their seats left and right. Um, they started to come on board. So, you know, you need 26 votes in the city council mm-hmm. to get something done. And, you know, under Lori Lightfoot, that was also a problem because you wanted to have a supermajority um, because she would oppose anything progressive going through the city or at least, you know, go after anyone who opposes her agenda and uh, now we have Brandon Johnson, who um, is from a lot of the same movements that these alder people are also from. So now we have an ally. That's amazing. That's amazing. Yeah, I, you know, having lived in the city my whole life, um, it always just seemed like a daily was going to be in charge and mm. nothing good is ever going to happen. Jesus like you know it's a great city for a lot of reasons but it's always like yeah but the government sucks but we have to just kind of deal with it mm-hmm. now there's hope so it's it's a very different vibe here i sense that and not just from jacobin mm-hmm. there's a there's a there's a new sheriff in town well he's mm-hmm. actually installing a new uh top cop as well yeah yeah and, we'll see how that goes i'm uh yeah. <laughs> The, the, the top cop is on board with the, our later story. So that's a, that's promising. Yes. Promising. As opposed to like every other top cop we've had. Um, I mean, <laughs> one of the problems though, is that the head of the police union here, John Cataranza, he is far right wing, believes conspiracy theories. Like he is, you know, not, he is what you don't suspect of as someone from Chicago, but he looks and sounds like the type of person who always talks shit about Chicago. 
Nice. Wow. Um, so, so where did uh, Mayor's Emanuel and Lightfoot stand on uh, this minimum wage issue? How is Brandon Johnson so different? Well, um, Lori Lightfoot, even though she didn't uh, campaign specifically on raising the tip minimum wage, she ran on a very progressive uh, platform uh, in 2019 when she ran. Um, in fact, like her education plan uh, mirrored the Chicago Teachers Unions. Mm-hmm. And as soon as she took office, she reversed herself on any, any progressive legislation she, uh, that, that came to her desk. She blocked a similar proposal in 2020. I'm um, sorry. She blocked a, uh, a proposal in 2019 that would have um, phased out the tip minimum wage by 2023. And, um, you know, like I was saying before, she reversed herself on a lot of different positions. Mm-hmm. And, you know, in that first year, it was really a banner year for her. Um, she forced us on an 11 day teacher strike um, because she didn't want to agree to the reforms that she herself ran on. Things like increasing the number of school care workers, like social workers and nurses. Um, she didn't want to increase school resources. And she didn't want to increase funding for schools that serve large numbers of homeless students. Like one thing that, you know, until our last contract that was absolutely ridiculous was, you know, we have some schools where there's large numbers of students who are in um, – really kind of transient living situations. And then some schools where the kids are fairly middle to upper middle class even, mm-hmm. all got the same amount of funding per kid. Um, what we fought for and won in 2019, which she initially opposed, was getting additional resources to those schools that have high homeless populations to get those students what they needed. Um, you know, We all know in education that if a kid is hungry, if they um, you know, are sick, they're not gonna mm-hmm. learn. They're going to be focused right. on their, their tummy rumbling and their fever. And, you know, when we have schools where, you know, when you get a nurse once or twice a week because you're sharing a nurse with two other schools, you know, wow. you'll have a kid with a fever. And if they don't have uh, folks to call um, to pick them up, um, mm-hmm. they might be sitting in an office for a while and they're not learning. <laughs> no. Um, so Lori Lightfoot did nothing at all. Like she definitely did not care about um you know these people and did nothing for them um she was a big uh ally to the restaurant association in fact during the height of the pandemic she pushed open for push for the reopening of bars and restaurants even before public spaces like parks and beaches were open so you know she wanted the restaurant association to be happy with her so they could fill their restaurants with a bunch of people coughing and drinking beers, um, but anything that the city was responsible for where people could safely hang out outside, um, she wasn't interested in. So um, I don't think this is something that could have happened under her. And I, you know, I would consider Rahm Emanuel the human incarnation of a bank. So this was just like a no-go for him. Yikes. Okay. <laughs> like no certainly... one ever lobbied Rahm to do the wrong thing. He just would do the wrong thing on his <laughs> and then go to the lobbyist and say, now where's my money? He certainly you- dressed like a large bank. <laughs> I'll give him that. That's all I'll give him. Wow. Lori Lightfoot, really not a good record here. No. She also, the interesting thing about her is every 
progressive voice in the city had given her the opportunity to become this trans transformative mayor. Mm -hmm. If she picked up on all of these things that Johnson is now picking up on, she could have been reelected. I think she didn't even have to do much work because you have so many community leaders, leaders of NGOs and other people willing to do the policy work mm -hmm. and, you know, do the research and do the organizing. But Lori was just an obstructionist. And, um, yeah, now I believe she's giving lectures at Harvard on um, – is one of the Ivies. She's giving lectures about how to run um, a city under a pandemic, which she failed at. What? I'm amazed how these people fail up. It is incredible. Mm -hmm. My resume would look so different if I could fail up. <laughs> I'd be in a completely different place. Oh my gosh. Okay. You have to fail up, but also make evil people happy with you. Right. That's, that's the key. That's true. That's very true. What's the relationship between the Chicago's teachers union and the Johnson administration? Uh, well, Mayor Johnson, or I've always known him as Brandon, um, was a member of CTU. He taught middle school and uh, also high school. And then later, he and I actually both took jobs with the CTU in 2010. Um, he was an organizer and I was a communications director and uh, I worked with him for a number of years in the early 2010s. Um, I went on to work for um, our state federation and uh, he became a CTU lobbyist and then mm -hmm. eventually was elected to be a Cook County commissioner as well. And from there he was able to build um, you know, his political machine, um, which got other, elect other progressive people elected as well. Um, so he's been a very close ally of the union while in, in office. And um, he's uh, he ran with the full support of the CTU for mayor, uh, along with the labor coalition that CTU is a part of, which included service workers in SEIU um, and other unions. And also, which was really unprecedented, was the Illinois, I'm sorry, the American Federation of Teachers, our national union, um, supported him and put a lot of resources behind his campaign. And usually our national does not um, support municipal races. So they saw something in this. They saw an opportunity and um, it worked. Wow. I'm impressed. I'm impressed by this guy, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. He's doing a good job. Well, I mean, he hasn't even hit his 100 days, his first 100 days, has he? Mm-hmm. That was, you know, it's funny you should mention, though, let's go, Brandon, because the, you know, it, it's a small population, but we do have a MAGA population within the city. Mm -hmm. They hated the fact his name was Brandon because we, um, <laughs> we appropriated, we did a cultural appropriation on MAGA and we, we stole let's go, Brandon from them and we used it and they hated it so much. Oh my gosh. That's what hilarious. <laughs> You're not using that right. Give me that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they have to explain, well, you see, it's a meme because at this racetrack, they said the wrong thing. And the reporter, no, no, we're literally just saying we want our, our guy Brandon to win. That's it. <laughs> Memes have to be simple, guys. That's right. That's right. The left needs to learn that. Um, under the ordinance, which will go into effect next July, tipped workers pay would rise 8% each year until reaching parity in 2028, which is kind of right around the corner. Mm -hmm. 
part of a compromise struck with the restaurant industry. Are there other examples of Johnson reaching out to potential adversaries to find common ground? Well, he's only been in office since May. Um, so, you know, this is a huge win. Um, I mean, it's, it's not quite a win yet, but just getting things as far as it did um, has been huge. And I think this kind of sets the stage for similar work, and he's definitely going to need that. Uh, one thing that, you know, he did was he let go of a number of people from the Chicago Board of Education. Of course, currently as it stands, the Chicago Board of Education is an appointed board. Um, we are phasing in an elected board over time. Um, but he did keep the president of the Board of Education and a number of top officials there um, to work with the uh, new administration. Um, even though I know from what I understand, there was a mass exodus of um, you know, central office employees for the Board of Education when he took over because things have been run one way for so long, it, yeah. it's got to be hard to teach an old dog new tricks. You know, when the idea was let's starve the shit out of these schools um, until they fail and then close them down and then, well, let's just open a charter school that we don't really have to manage ourselves. Um, right. Now that we're not going to follow that model, you know, these people who've done things one way their entire careers, they're kind of useless, <laughs> some of them. Um, but from what I understand, he has found people that have common ground with wanting to actually improve the school system. And um, he's work, his, his administration is working with them. Um, so I'm hoping this new this next contract is going to have a lot more reforms that are mm -hmm. going to make the schools um, run better and make things better for teachers and students. You love to see it. Yes. And it's rare that you do. And it's rare that you do. Uh, I just wanted to add One Fair Wage is the group that was working with um, the city council uh, they are now they're they are now currently targeting 25 states, including New York, Arizona, and Colorado. Uh, I personally am expecting the most fierce pushback in New York, since it is also a restaurant town. Mm -hmm. but that would benefit so many so many struggling New Yorkers. Yeah, Eric Adams is such a Lori Lightfoot. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> I, you know, I, I hope, you know, that means that there's a Brandon Johnson on the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like just even on just a, a personality level, like Lori, Lori Lightfoot and Eric Adams are just such both deeply embarrassing people. They are. Did you see that picture of Eric Adams in Israel? I think he was at the Wailing Wall and someone did a, a zoom in on this friendship bracelet he was wearing. And it spelled out the letters hustle on it. Oh, Lord. <laughs> Which is very much like Lori Lightfoot's fedoras and trench coats. Like, who does that? Who does that? Like, that's not even a good how do you do fellow kids thing because kids aren't really doing that. No, kids are not doing that at all. He's watching the wrong TikTok. Yes. <laughs> I, I, Eric Adams, his middle name should be Who Does That? <laughs> He's the worst. He is. I just don't even know what to do with that guy. <laughs> just vote him out. I wish. I wish I could do it tomorrow. Mm -hmm. That would be great. So, 
ending the subminimum wage laws is right in time to help prevent the working poor from sliding into homelessness. Here's our next story. Chicago has the highest poverty rates among the nation's biggest cities, including San Francisco Los A- and Los Angeles, according to IllinoisPolicy.org. With more than 450,000, 100,000 men, women, and children living in poverty in Chicago, the city's impoverished population is the fourth largest in the nation behind New York City, Los Angeles, and Houston. The city's poverty rate is 17.2%, and that is far higher than the U.S. poverty rate of 11.5%. And I do have a graph to show. Mm, We love visuals. We love a good visual here. Here we are. See, see Chicago in the red, right in the middle. We are a red city now, I hope. (laughs) And you've got the, yeah, the the U.S. average at 15.9% here. Chicago's at 17.2%. Yeah, you've got Philadelphia at the top. That's a little surprising to me. Hmm. Because uh, you hear a lot about California, and not just on this show. You hear a lot about the warmer places. So that was a little surprising to me. Yeah, you know, currently in Chicago, there's 70,000 homeless people. And um, this is a huge number. And I have to say this is, you know, a direct result of uh, the policies under Mayor Daly and Emanuel and Lightfoot's. Um, they've lowered the standard of living and forced more and more people to live in poverty. And um, I don't really know like numbers or anything about folks moving south or west but one thing i have seen in the past 20 or so years is more the poor folks in chicago um when public housing was being raised like at a very Mm -hmm. rapid rate um a lot of folks took uh, their section 8 vouchers down to central and southern illinois or the suburbs which are actually in a lot of places much cheaper to live and you know that those vouchers EBT goes a lot further. Chicago is just a very expensive city. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not in New York or in LA, but it is, you know, much more expensive than it had been. You know, I'd say, you know, it's accelerated uh, very rapidly the cost of everything. And um, so, you know, you're seeing these small towns like basically not know what to do with, um, you know, their median income being somewhere right in the middle, and all of a sudden dramatically dropping. Um, schools not really knowing what to do with, you know, higher numbers of students in special education, um, because, you know, when you're living in poverty, um, you you know, those test scores tend to to drop. Um, And, Mm -hmm. you know, rapid gentrification everywhere also has really pushed that, Um, particularly the north side had many more pockets of uh, working class and poor folks. Um, Nowadays, um, more and more of that of the north side neighborhoods are becoming um just unlivable uh, not unlivable but um unaffordable and you know it was always mayor daly's plan to turn the entire lakefront into our you know our downtown currently our downtown um is along the lake 
But then there is, you know, even affordable housing, public housing along the lake a little further south. Mm-hmm. And um, a lot of that has been gentrified, a lot of the public housing particularly. And so um, it's just become Im- a very difficult place to be without money um, or without, you know, a good Union City job, which is also something that's becoming harder and harder to come by. Like I was saying earlier with charter schools, charter schools have a, have different contracts if they have a contract at all. Mm-hmm. And so, um, you know, when you have teachers being, you know, traditionally a huge number of um, middle to upper middle class folks um, with education, staying in the city, um, you have now um, charter schools which can pay much, much less. And in some cases, those charter schools will hire out from out in the suburbs because they have um, a loophole where they don't have to follow the residency requirements that the rest of us do. So, um, you know, and also with the ending of consent decrees, which um, made a certain amount of jobs for um, uh, uh, city jobs um, set aside for people of color, you know, people who didn't grow up with a lot of money, you know, those consent decrees, a lot of them sunset and then were never passed again. Um, The standard of living for a lot of people here is just very low. Oh, wow. They just sunset. Yeah. That's really unfortunate. Um, San Francisco and Austin, Texas have lower poverty rates than Chicago, despite considerable media attention to their homelessness crises. Why do you think that is when the city's impoverished population is the fourth largest in the nation behind New York City, Los Angeles, and Houston? You know, I've been thinking about this, and I think it's because the media just, they love grand narratives, and they Mm. don't like the nuance of all big cities are having a hard time. You know, basically everyone's having a hard time. Um, right. But what they want to do is they want to give everyone their their shtick. And, you know, San Francisco's homeless population is something that they could tout. You know, I think a lot of it has to do with trying to um, justify the gentrification, um, you know, the absolute unaffordability of that city mm-hmm. by saying, you know, the homeless people that are still here are violent and um, they're overrunning the city. And, you know, I think a lot of it, too, is there's so many, like, wealthy tech transplants there mm-hmm. seeing homeless people for the first time and freaking out. And the media know that they can capture and mm. listeners um, by um, really playing to their fears. And um, Austin might be similar. Right. Chicago, though, we're known as the place where you're going to get shot. Yes. <laughs> You look at a sign that says Chicago and then you get shot. Yeah, I yeah. talk to people from not here. There's there's a, a line now. Um, it's become um, a big uh, T-shirt slogan. STFU, shut the fuck up about Chicago. <laughs> and the line is like, you know, what do you say to someone who's not from here who has an opinion about Chicago? STFU about Chicago. I and uh, more. I'm sorry? I couldn't agree with you more. I feel that way about New York very much. <laughs> and so now we're known as the crime city, um, even though pretty continuously we're somewhere around the 20th in the nation for crime. 
year mm-hmm. after year compared to other cities. And, um, you know, they really want to show that this city is full of these bloodthirsty thugs that are out for, uh, you know, just, you know, the knockout game or whatever. Right. Sensational scare tactic they want. And not that, you know, the city is full of single moms that are just trying to keep the lights on. Full of single moms that are going to benefit from sub-minimum wage being outlawed. Yes. I mean, that makes a lot of sense. How visible is the poverty and the homelessness in the city? Have you seen a visible increase in the past few years? What I've noticed is a um, kind of a more like dispersed, a dispersal of um, of homelessness. Whereas like I w- remember seeing a lot of homeless people downtown Um I've seen, you know, throughout different neighborhoods, you'll see some encampments or you'll see, you know, people living under train tracks. I think that, um, you know, people are homeless. People are moving about the city. Um, So the problem is it's a little more visible because of that, because, you know, you're seeing homeless people in a lot of uh, residential neighborhoods as well. And, um, you know, our downtown used to be a place where a lot of people worked, especially people with a lot of money. Um, I think because of a lot of work from home um, and, you know, I actually think this is a pretty good thing. Our downtown isn't as lively as it once was. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you don't have people coming downtown uh, with pockets full of cash for panhandle, you know, that panhandlers could um, ask for. Um, You know, you're having people not you know, staying at home and doing their work. Um, so, you know, they have to go where, where there is a place where they could, you know, panhandle and it's becoming less and less our downtown. Hmm. People are uh, also shopping from home too. Yeah, that is a good point. Yeah. Our, um, Michigan Avenue was like the place to go. That's where everyone went at Christmas and any other time, like, you know, for school shopping, um, interestingly, that is also the site where those, uh, the youth violence was happening. Oh, um, what was traditionally a more of a, a shopping area. Interesting. Interesting. I just remember those, um, during COVID, there was a, a TikTok of this girl taking a cheesecake from Cheesecake Factory. She carried it with one hand. Very impressive. <laughs> <laughs> She stole it. Oh, good for her. Yeah, she expropriated it. Yeah, Cheesecake Factory can go with one less cheesecake. They'll be fine. (laughs) They'll be fine. So thirdly, we're rounding out tonight with another uplifting story. This has got to be a TIR first. (laughs) So Health Committee agrees to form working group to reopen Chicago's public mental health clinics, expand 911 alternate response via WTTW PBS News. A key city panel agreed Tuesday to form a working group to form a working group to craft a plan to reopen public mental health clinics and expand efforts to respond to 911 calls, not with police officers, but with social workers and counselors the heart of the proposal known as Treatment Not Trauma. The measure introduced by Brandon Johnson and Alderman Rosanna 
Rodriguez Sanchez, 33rd Ward, is set for a final vote by the full city council on October 4th. After winning the unanimous endorsement of the city council's health and human relations committee, we believe this is an emergency, said Rodriguez Sanchez. Kenzo, you were particularly excited about this story. Why? So, yeah, um, 10 years ago, Mayor Rahm Emanuel, when he pushed to, you know, pare down all the public works here, as well as privatize as much as possible, he, you know, the city only had 12 mental health clinics, and that's for a city of about 3 million people. He closed half of those. And uh, later, one of them was even privatized. And um, so what sprung from that was a movement called the mental health movement, which was a movement not only to stop those closures, but to um, open up more mental health clinics. You know, we have, um, you know, at that time, there was a mental health crisis, which has even been become much worse. It's exacerbated since then. Mm-hmm. So right now, there are only five mental health facilities um, within the city of public mental health facilities within the Chicago Um you know, since, you know, we went down to that number, we had the pandemic where everyone had a meltdown, um, understandably. And, you know, people's lives were uprooted, you know, massive amounts of people died. Uh, mental health did not get better afterwards, surprisingly enough. Shocking. Yeah, with even less resources, even fewer resources than we had before. Um, I also think that the 50 school closures that Rahm Emanuel um, caused in 2013 also uh, contributed to this mental health crisis. Uh, a lot of students at that point were forced to leave the schools where they had community. Some had to commute miles, and I'm talking um, children. I'm talking like uh, you know, elementary school children had to find ways to get miles um, away from their homes to go to a different school. Mm-hmm. And you know, the schools that did receive these students didn't really receive much more funding. And so the idea was like, you know, we were going to consolidate, quote unquote, underutilized schools. Um, The thing is, is that you don't need to pack schools full of children. Children need to be going to the schools in their community where they recognize people. And, you know, hopefully they'll have stable um, care workers for maybe even from that community. Um, Mm -hmm. That was really lost you know, um, you know, that's uh, almost 10 percent of the schools were basically closed under Rahm Emanuel. And all of them were um, al- almost all of them were black schools and some of them were primarily Latino schools. And so um, you had uh, this massive mental health crisis um, because, you know, like I was saying earlier, you know, we had schools that were sharing social workers and nurses. You know, they didn't get more social workers and nurses when schools uh, shoved, shunted more and more students into um, fewer and fewer facilities. So um, preventative care through the loss of these clinics was lost. And, um, you know, one thing about the, the name treatment, not trauma, that's very specifically talking about um, we need to have care workers and licensed clinicians working um, with people having mental health issues, not the police who essentially become de facto mental health workers, right? And someone has a mental health crisis. Um, you know, it's the police then that round them up and, you know, put them in jails instead of mental health facilities. And you have situations like a couple of years ago at the, uh, university of Chicago, where there is 
a young black man having a mental health crisis and he was killed by a university police right on campus. Mm. Um, so not only, you know, ending this man's life, but traumatizing the people in the community who saw that. And, you know, the, the message there is like, you know, if you have a mental health crisis, you're fucked, you know, right. you have to find a way to hide that because if you're having a problem in public, someone's going to, you know, it's it's very likely that the police are going to be involved as opposed to someone who's going to try to help you out through the situation. Um, right now, I'm a, in, stu in school to be a social worker. Um, interestingly, interestingly enough, um, Alderman Lasana Rodriguez Sanchez, she's a classmate of mine. Um, she is not nice. only is she an alderwoman, um, she is also working on her master's in social work. Um, at Northeastern Illinois University yeah. uh, on a panel that I'm organizing for the university coming up. Um, it pays to, uh, to help out, <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. do some organizing, um, to brag a little bit. I spoke at the kickoff campaign for her first election. I was the MC. Um, so I'd like to think I got her five or six votes here and there. Nice. <laughs> it counts. Yeah, it does. well, she won by a margin of 13 the first election. Wow. That's what got her into the runoff. And then um, this time she won, when she got reelected, she won handily. But, you know, the first time it was not not an easy one for her. Well, she seems like a gem. Yes, absolutely. So October 4th is a big day for the city council and the mayor. This could be a signature piece of legislation for all. What can you tell us about the behind the scenes of how this came about? Um, well, as far as, um, you know, uh, the opening, uh, reopening of the, the mental health clinics, that's something that Rosanna was a big push. You know, she was big into pushing that mental health has really been her ballywick in um, city council. And she's been pushing for those reopenings uh, ever since she took office. And Mayor Lightfoot, um, you know, she – Mayor. Mayor Lightfoot had had a bad personality. You know, it, it, she would take mm -hmm. it very personally if someone had a very principled opinion against her. So she did target Rosanna um, pub very publicly and many times. And, um, you know, she opposed the idea of opening these mental health clinics and made it sound like people who wanted to reopen them were being silly or foolish. Um Rosanna, however, like she were, has been working very closely with uh, Brandon Johnson um, on this issue uh, to get um, to get it to pass. And, you know, one thing that was really, um, you know, a good organizing move for all of our socialist aldermen was they used their campaigns not only to campaign for themselves, but also for uh, Brandon Johnson. Uh, mm -hmm. So when they were knocking doors, they had flyers that had their own. Um, name and voting information on it, but also said, make sure to vote for mayor, for Brandon Johnson. So in their communities where they were trusted, um, Brandon was able to get more votes. And um, because of this, you know, he has been a very good ally to everyone. It's been a partnership and unlike I've ever seen, except, you know, the difference being, you know, Rom had partnerships with uh, the banks and Daly had mm -hmm. partnerships with developers um this is the first time i've seen a mayor have partnerships with social workers that's awesome those are the right people yes i feel like social workers should have swords 
<laughs> Not guns, but swords. Uh, what do you think of that? I'd have to learn like how to really wield one, but I also think that would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Like that. Cool. I mean, I would take a sword class. That actually, that should be part of the the social work requirement is a swordsmanship class. I think that would help a lot of situations. When I was in college, there were these people. Uh, they call themselves the Combat Club, and they have these big foam swords, and they go out on the quad and just kind of like have medieval fights with them. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they were nerds, but um, yeah. yeah, it was always just really funny because I actually lived in a building that had a lot of computer science majors. And uh, there was a big cross-section of them with uh, combat club people. And um, so, you know, you'd see them in the hallways taping up their swords. And they were really into it. But I'd want a real metal one. Yeah, you should have one. Like a real, like, blade. (laughs) It would be cool. People could throw fruit at you and you could just cut it. Oh, I would want to, you know, if I had that opportunity, I would... um, make like a rotisserie thing out of that too Mm, that could be good for the kids just like impale a chicken you know put it over a fire feed the children and then ward off the bad people too while i'm you know saving the utes there we go thinking ahead i like it oh actually also speaking of um treatment not trauma part of it the original version of the bill actually would have decreased the police funding by $2 billion. Mm-hmm. And that money would have gone towards reopening the clinics. Um, that isn't in the current version of the bill, but what this committee is now going to is tasked with is finding funding for it. So something similar to that may be on the table um, with a new top cop that might be more possible. We'll see. Well, I was wondering about that. Is this going to get stuck in like committee hell? committee 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 we need another committee to explore the committee to find the committee to find the money kind of thing we're in uncharted waters now like i would normally say hell yeah that's going to happen yeah you know, we had <laughs> nothing to get you know there was one um i would not the word i shouldn't say socialist there was one liberal mayor named joe moore who eventually flipped but under mayor daly he was the one vote against everything and um he, you know, he would put something out there to make his constituents happy. He was in a very liberal ward, and then um, a hold would be put on everything he put out there. Whoever was in charge of that one committee, it's not called the committee of the whole, but it's the equivalent in city council. Mm-hmm. Um, this guy Ed Burke um, would always put a hold on it, so Joe Moore could say to his constituents, "Well, I tried, but nothing could ever make it to city count, make it actually to a vote." Interesting side note about Burke is that he's he'd been indicted and is no longer in office because he tried to shake down a Burger King in his wars. Shake down a Burger King. A Burger King um, in his ward was looking to expand their parking lots and um, they didn't want to pay the piper. So he was uh, pushing on them. And this is a big part of this indictment that he's under. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly enough, that part, that, Burger King was the same one that Laquan McDonald, the black teenager who was murdered by police, was murdered, mm. um, which, you know, that actually in the end led to Rom's downfall because when he was seeking reelection, he told the state's attorney, Nita Alvarez, hide this shit. 
And right. then she did. It came out after he got reelected. And that kind of followed him throughout the next four years that even though it got him you know, back into office, he being the, the smooth political operator was he knew that he wasn't going to get reelected a third time. And that would have hurt Little Rom's ego too much. So that's when he decided mm -hmm. not to run for reelection again. Little Rom. But yeah, like the, those connections are just so interesting. Like that's like the most corrupt. Well, the site of the most corruption, that one Burger King. Yes. Well, one Burger King. At first, you were like, he, she was shaking down a Burger King. I was like, for money or for food? Because <laughs> I kind of could understand for food, maybe. <laughs> shaking down. Yeah, I don't even think that's a good Burger King. That's one of those where, you know, it's been under the heat lamp for a while. That is not a fresh oh, burger. Oh, forget it then. <laughs> <laughs> I I could settle for some number three spot fries, but if it's one of those Burger Kings, forget it. Yeah, you got to ask for like extra onions or something so you know they make it fresh at those places. That's that's been my tip. Oh my gosh, I'm so glad I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> yeah, don't don't deal with that at all. Yeah. Anything else about this uh, mental health story? It's fantastic. Right now, I hope it spreads. Yeah. I mean, for me also, one of the very hopeful things about it is the fact that this is something that's happening at the very beginning of Brandon's term. So mm -hmm. it's not like he's doing it to get reelected. And, you know, what we see in national and our state politics, always like, oh, a progressive initiative happens at the zero hour to get the person reelected and then they let it die. You know, he's going to be accountable. Right for getting these things passed for the next four years. He's going to have to like listen to constituents for four years if these things don't get done. And, you know, there is a movement here. You know, the movement's been building for quite some time. It's the same movement that got him elected. And, you know, I, I am very hopeful that he's going to remember that. Yeah. Overall, what do you feel the temperature of the city is? It's, um... It's hopeful. You know, I'd say yeah. for the first time ever, Chicago has a bit of a different vibe than it ever had. There's there's hope there um, as opposed to just, just you know, we, we put our heads down because we love the food and the music and the culture and the people here, but we hate the city and we hate the government. Um, it also really does put it on us as residents like we have to do more. Like there's so many opportunities now for actual change. We can't be cynical and jaded. Um, I shouldn't say we, because I've definitely been a part of these movements. But I'd say, you know, a lot of people who just say like, you know, it is what it is, and you know, this is just a corrupt mm -hmm. city. Um, you know, it's really on them also to uh, to do what they need to do to get their um, needs met, and that's going to require organizing. Um, because, you know, as great as Brandon is, he's not going to do things for no reason. You know, he's going to have to see that there's um, a movement behind it um, or else there's going to be no reason to make any of these changes. And so far, the changes he's been pushing for look pretty good. Pretty damn good. Yep. And I'm hoping other cities take um, inspiration from this. Me too. Mm-hmm.
Me too. It'd be nice to see some of these changes in New York City. It feels like the powers are so entrenched, but as you said, you felt that way in Chicago as well. Yeah. The fact there is so much concentrated wealth within New York, though, does make y'all a very, very unique creature. It's tough, man. (laughs) I would love to see the sub-minimum wage be done away with here, but like, they've got all kinds of people in the back rooms and... You know, you've got the cooks and all these other people who are not even documented. And mm-hmm. it's it's a lot of struggles at once. Yeah. I'd love to see it, though. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's good to have an example to point to. to say, hey, it's been done. It can be done. Mm-hmm. And things are going, you know. We have a very progressive state right now. The governor's doing a lot. You know, we do have a billionaire governor who bought his seat, but he's um, made strides in, you know, really codifying abortion being legal here. Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, he had passed a bill that basically bans book bans in Illinois libraries. Like any Illinois library that bans books for you know having uh lgbtq issues or things like that mm-hmm. um they lose state funding and so it's really not there's no incentive um to do that of course you know christian bookstores still exist but they'll always exist that's true <laughs> there's always going to be money in christ i mean god always needs money right <laughs> gotta have it <laughs> Gotta have it. So, how are you feeling in your uh, transition out of teaching? Feeling great. I'm, you know, especially with what's happening in the city right now, it seems like there is a lot of hope for social workers here. Like the work that, Mm -hmm. the kind of good work that we want to be doing is possible. Um, You know, social work was not a very liberating. field when it was first developed it really was let's you know it's our duty to help the unwashed masses and really kind of still look down upon them Mm -hmm. that kind of vibe and uh, i've seen a lot of transformations in a lot of uh, social work programs i'm in a very progressive one at northeastern illinois university it's other than the fact that it's the cheapest um that's the other reason why I, i chose it um, but you know, the idea of helping people help themselves and helping understanding that, you know, the problems also lie in, um, you know, oppression and, you know, things that are happening in, in people's communities that are not their choice. So, you know, developing democracy, um, as well as, you know, helping people with their mental health, I'm really looking forward to it. Um, the school system, it's it's going to be a long slog in, in, in any, you know, real tangible reforms there. Mm-hmm. So leaving, you know, the, my eventual um, leaving of the school system is I'm looking forward to it. Um, and um, yeah, but I, I will still be working with the same folks. I'll still be working with young people um, having, you know, mental health issues, but without un, not under the auspices of, of CPS, which has not been a great employer for my last 20 years cps Mm -hmm. well uh tell us what that is for those who don't know 
yeah, uh, unlike the rest of the of the country where that means child protective services, that's the Chicago public schools. You know, the big mm-hmm. pre K through twelve system in Chicago um, that has you know we've seen some positive um, movement thanks to the progressive leadership of the the Chicago Teachers Union. Um, but it is a very calcified institution, um, and making any kind of real change there is still going to take a lot of effort. Well, you've got good people on the job there. Yeah, I think so. You left them in place. And they're famous all over the country. Mm-hmm. Yeah, people know. Didn't they don't just them... know it's the place where you're going to get shot if you go there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's good for a city to be known for more than that. <laughs> you won't just get shot. <laughs> well, I think uh, I think we've come to an end. This has been a All good right, show. Fun. Thank you so much for coming on. It's so great not to bring the doom and gloom this time. Exactly. It's a <laughs> real first for us. So happy to do that with you. All right. We're going to sign off. We are out. Peace, everyone. Peace.